Welcome. You have entered the realm of 1111 Talk Radio. Your host is Simron. It's time to discover your own language with the universe. Empower yourself, broaden your mind, open your heart, and discover who you are. Now, here's your host, Simron. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are going to have a powerful and beautiful show today on 1111 Talk Radio. I am so excited to have Philip Shepard back on. He is one of my favorites. I love his books, and his new book is an absolute gem. It is something that has spoken deeply to not only my mind, but deeply to my heart and my body and my being. And I know that it'll do the same for you wherever you are in your world. With that, I'm going to begin a little bit with what's in his book. To hold a child's wooden toy in your hand is to connect to an endless web of relationships. It may evoke memories of your own childhood and bear evidence in scratches or dents of children who played with it once and are themselves now parents or even grandparents. Its patina tells of how other hands have held it over the years as yours are holding it now. And before that, of the hands that cut its pieces from stock, sanded them, and assembled them. The grain of its wood bears evidence of summers of growth and winters of sleep, and of the rain and sun and snow that nourished it through the seasons. And within that grain, carbon may be stored that was once breathed out by our ancestor of yours, who on their next in-breath might have taken in oxygen created by ancestors of the tree from which this toy came to be made." This incredible book, Radical Wholeness, The Embodiment, Present, and the Ordinary Grace of Being, has laid out three core principles. Wholeness is the inescapable truth of our reality. Our ability to sense wholeness is our primary sense. Our culture systemically disables that sense in us, leaving us out of touch with the reality of the self and the world to which it belongs. We're going to dive into this rich, rich topic that really concerns itself with where we are as a culture and as a world and where we have the ability to become present to. Philip Shepard is recognized as an international authority on embodiment. He developed the Embodied Present Process, a unique set of practices for reuniting the anxious, restless pace of the intelligence in the head with the deep, present, and connected intelligence of the body. His first book, which is incredible, is New Self, New World, Recovering Our Senses in the 21st Century. And it drew on a lifetime of research and experience and was widely acclaimed for its original vision. Philip's insights have been shaped by his adventures when he cycled alone through Europe and Middle East, India, and Japan as a teenager, by his deep commitment to and studies of body work, by his experiences as an actor playing lead roles on stages in London, New York, Chicago, and Toronto, and by a burning desire for freedom that has illuminated his entire life. Radical Wholeness, his new book, reveals that our culture is whole blind, and it documents the devastation inflicted by that disability on our personal lives and the planet. But the book is also a practical guide for initiating a personal revolution. By finding your way out of the head, And reuniting with your body's intelligence, you can ground yourself in a wholeness of being that feels and supports the harmonies, not just of your life, but of our wakeful world. Welcome, Philip, back to 1111 Talk Radio. It is a pleasure to have you back on. Uh, It's a joy to be here, and Simona, it's a joy to hear you read those excerpts. Um, It's just such a a lovely um, refresh for me. It's so 
It's so enjoyable to hear those words spoken by you. Thank you. Well, it's a powerful book, and if you could see the number of dog ears and post-it notes and little (laughs) tabs that I have in this book, you would think that um, something had grown from the book itself, and I'm certain that anyone that reads it is going to do just that. They're going to grow from the book itself. I'd like to start off with this thing called the story that we all have, the story that comes from our culture, from our family, from our background, something that we usurp as we begin to grow. And it is, even though very evident to us at times, it's largely invisible. And as you say, it rules us without our being aware of it. Talk about how this is impacting us as individuals and more importantly, how it is impacting our world today. Yeah, any, as you say, any culture in the world is communicating a story about what it means to be human. Um, And it communicates that in language, in architecture, um, in, in, you know, the cars we drive. um, Basically, what we've designed is a head on wheels. And, and... Two headlights are necessary for a car. Three headlights would illuminate the road better, but two headlights preserve the metaphor of the head on wheels. And we feel so comfortable sitting in that head on wheels. Um, we, see, we feel so comfortable designing buildings that declare nature is irrelevant, not so much as a bit of moss grows on a skyscraper, um, unless, unless it's there deliberately as decoration. So nature is decoration, and we stand in our story. We stand as apart from the world as those skyscrapers that we build, which are kind of metaphoric symbols of the self. And, and the story, you know, the essence of our story communicates that to be human is to somehow be independent of nature, independent even of the present. It's to be equipped with, with the supremacy of an abstract faculty for reasoning that can solve all of our problems. And that, you know, that, that notion that the head should rule is buried in our language. You know, a, a corporation um, has, is ruled by headquarters. Uh, any leader in our culture is, is the head of the organization. And, and you don't tend to question these things because they're, they're sort of taken into your, into your way of understanding the world before you can even begin to formulate a question and to grow up within a story that says that basically marries your aspirations to that of the mythic tyrant um, is corrosive of your own experience of being, but also is, it corrodes um, the very world around you as you act on it, because, because independence, which our culture gathers around as ancient cultures gathered around the fire, this notion of independence is a complete fantasy. It just, it just does not exist in the world. There's no example 
of independence that you can point to in the universe. Everything depends on everything. Everything affects everything. Everything leans on and and dances with everything. That's just the nature of our reality. Um, So to chase, you know, to chase this notion of independence, which it always interests me that Joseph Campbell, the great mythologist, characterized the tyrant as the man of self-achieved independence. So the tyrant chases a fantasy. And, and as a culture, our story of what it means to be human urges us to chase that same fantasy. And so we feel most comfortable cocooned from the world in one way or another. And meanwhile, the world is, is whispering to us through every breeze and every twig and every cloud to, to join it in its harmony. And we, we, we immunize ourselves to that whispering. We, we deaden ourselves to it. And then, as you say, we, we become incapable of feeling the very wholeness in which we're embedded. And that wholeness is the reality of our world. So we're basically immunizing ourselves from a connection with reality. And we, we feel that. We feel disconnected. And that's, you know, to my way of thinking, that's the root of it. You speak a little bit in the book, uh, and you give the example of how we are somewhat homogenized as children when we go into classrooms and we're taught to think and we're taught to succeed and we're taught to be graded in all the things that we do. And and this, along with how our media and our world uh, illustrate to us that wealth and, uh, and the accumulation of things is the ultimate success. And so piece by piece, we become separated or independent from the world because we are in this pursuit to to embody that vision of success that we have been shown. Yet when you went out on your bike and you went around the world, you said that you had the ability to see the strands of the web that had bound you and that the most difficult thing in the world is to question an assumption you've never consciously made. And so often people are so intertwined with how they see the world based on that story Uh, I want to pose to you the very question that you write in the book. How do you even begin to question something that is so normal that it's invisible? I am so deeply indebted to cultures other than my own because the only... The only way I can, I could in my life begin to formulate those questions was, as you say, when I was a teenager, I went to England and I bought a bicycle and I took off for Japan. And I, I went, you know, I was, I slept outside at night. I was just wide open on a bicycle. You're so open to every experience that comes your way. And I passed through so many different ways of understanding what it means to be human. And every one of those ways was luminous. And every one of them had its limitations. But, but you hold a mirror to yourself by, by a, a sort of humble appreciation of another perspective on your own humanity. 
Um, and, you know, in, in Radical Wholeness, I, I write about um, a tribe in Africa that has a completely different sensorium, a completely different set of senses or a completely different understanding and experience of their senses than we do. <clears throat> and to, to pause and consider that and begin to move into the idea that we don't just have five senses, that the senses aren't just experienced with the eyes or the ears. For example, in, in that culture, every sense is experienced within the body. Their, their word for senses, they, they don't really have a word for senses, but their equivalent is a word, sesalilame. And sesalilame means feel, feel at flesh inside. They don't just see the world with their eyes. They feel the sights of the world in their bodies. They don't just hear the sounds of the world. They feel those sounds in their bodies. And, you know, so you read something like that, and, and if, you, if you approach it with, with the humility of, of um, recognition that this is something that could enrich your experience, this is something that could allow you to deepen into your humanity, then the doors begin to open. And, and as they open, assumptions that you may have lived with for decades um, fall away. And, and, and that process of recognizing and undoing the assumptions that bind us is a process for me of, of re- returning to the reality of our world. And we don't, we don't have choice in that matter as long as we're held by assumptions that we're not aware of. You only acquire choice when you're when you acquire the ability to question those assumptions. Yes, and so often we are so led by the intellect and the knowledge that we've allowed to be poured into ourselves that we become almost machine-like. I know that my early decades it was very much a, an unfeeling state. I longed to feel. I longed to even know what feeling was and I had no sense whatsoever of what it meant to feel. I had no sense whatsoever of what it even meant to cry or to shed a tear until I was about 35, 40 years old. And yeah. so so often in our culture, we have become such a place where the feelings are not truly experienced. We're not embodying. If there are some tears, they're very quickly wiped away. And you write in here that the senses are what activate our intelligence. If we had no senses, our intelligence would literally remain asleep. And I know in my own experience, because as I read through your book, the embodiment that I have had over the past 10 years mirrors exactly what you're writing about in this book. And it was it was breaking open to be willing to feel. And once you're willing to feel, you do open up the sensations to be able to extend sight beyond sight and hearing beyond hearing and 
and, and even to certain states of synesthesia, if you really allow yourself to deepen those sensitivities, talk a little bit about, for those that are numb to their senses, what is involved in beginning to open to really experiencing the senses? Because most people might say, I feel, I feel everything. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would begin by, again, by acknowledging the assumptions that 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 hold us and tell us, well, yeah, we're feeling just fine. What's the issue? So it's interesting to contrast the Anglo Eve story of what it means to be human, which is which is based on an experience of the world that honors that concept of feel feel at flesh inside. And you, you when you reach for the equivalent in our story, what does our story communicate? Well, to be human is to think, think at head inside. And we are so married to thinking our way forward that we, we don't know what it means anymore in life to feel our way forward. We're, we're so married to sorting out the known relationships of our world that we think... You know, the assumption is that to come into felt relationship is is unnecessary because you know what that tree is. You know what the sidewalk is. Why? What's the point of feeling it? And, and the core of, you know, in answering what's the point of feeling it, the core of that really takes me back to the nature of self-knowledge because we're so married to knowing the world rather than fearing, feeling it, that you begin to realize there's an assumption in our culture that each of us is embodied that tells us that knowledge will save us. Knowledge will save us in our personal lives. We just have to figure this out and, and make sense of it and everything will be fine. Knowledge will save us, you know, on a societal level that our problems, we just need the right technology and we'll fix our problems. And there's this blind spot in our culture that, that, um, that we can take basically hides from us the, the realization that knowledge can be lethal. I'm going to have you pause right there, Philip, so that we can take a break the world back up when is, we come back. Is inc- created by the knowledge of how to make plastics, how to how to um, burn fossil fuels, how to make toxins that'll kill insects. Self knowledge is about coming into felt relationship with the world and you come into felt relationship with a tree or a child playing on the sidewalk and you are illuminated in a particular way you come into relationship with a bird on a twig and you come into felt relationship with that bird and you are illuminated in a certain way and it's only as you deepen into felt relationship with the world that you deepen into self-knowledge and self-knowledge if if our knowledge grows out of proportion to our self-knowledge our knowledge becomes lethal Reclaiming your ability to think with the whole of your being is largely a process of undoing. Embodiment isn't about quieting the thoughts in the head and noticing the sensations of the body from there. It's about bringing the abstract intelligence of the head into relationship with the body's intelligence. Wholeness is never either or. 
It's both and. So the popular advice to listen to the body, well-meaning as it is, is stuck in the story of division. Embodiment is a state in which your entire intelligence is experienced as a coherent unity attuned to the world. This is from Philip Shepard's book, Radical Wholeness, The Embodied Present and the Ordinary Grace of Being. You can find out more about him and many of the events that are coming up starting in February in California, New Mexico, and Washington State at philipshepard.com. That's P-H-I-L-I-P-S-H-E-P-H-E-R-D.com. We'll be right back after these messages. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today, 1111mag.com. 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly online publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. Engage with experts in topics of consciousness. Become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, expanding the heart, and experiencing greater aliveness. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. Do you want more out of life? Tired of settling in relationships, your career, health, or finances? Want to experience greater aliveness? I am Simran. I support people in listening to their conversations with the universe, the guiding signs, symbols, and synchronicity. I mentor people to anchor in trust, love, and confidence to live their heart's desires. Let me guide you in embracing the challenges and the obstacles so you embody and integrate the gifts they bring. No more human doing. You are here for being, bounteously and abundantly. Experience your soul's natural rhythm, your powerful essence. Don't shrink back any longer. Release the struggle. Learn how to let go. Create in different dimensions. Transform separateness, grief, anxiety, anger, and chaos into living your destiny. Connect with me at IamSimran.com. Live more freely, spontaneously, and joyfully. Don't conform. Live a life of courage. Let's start now. Through my online courses, mentoring programs, or one-on-one coaching, it's time to change your world. Connect at IamSimran.com. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. Simron is an award-winning author, publisher of 1111 Magazine, powerful speaker of wisdom, and a life mentor. Find out more at imsimron.com. Now, back to 1111 Talk Radio. Welcome back. 
Before we get back to my wonderful guest, Philip Shepard, I want to let you know that the brand new issue of 1111 Magazine is out. It is themed Sound of Silence, and it is everything but that, because in the silence is when you really hear the harmony, the music, and the stillness that is there that speaks out loud. Some of the uh, featured guests in that issue are Scott Stabile with Big Love, Amy Zerner and Monty Farber with their new book, uh, Signs and Seasons, in addition to Jonathan Goldman and Andy Goldman and the effects of humming on the body and the benefits of that. There's so much jam-packed in there, and those are free all of the time at the website 1111mag.com, both the current and archive issues. In addition, 1111 Magazine is now available on audio, and it is an incredible experience. It allows you to hear the issue entirety and also to have some additional life coaching questions posed to you and some action steps so that you move forward in your life in different areas that you desire to. In addition, I include a meditation, audio intentions, and much, much more. If you'd like to try a free sample, just text 1111 to 443 Six four one, eleven ten. That's text eleven eleven to four four three six four one eleven ten. Now back to Philip Shepard, who is the author of New Self, New World, and his new book, Radical Wholeness. You can go to his website, philipshepard.com. He's got a lot of upcoming events in California, New Mexico, and Washington, and then he is off to New Zealand, Australia, and Ireland. So wherever you are. Definitely tap into his work. You're going to want to attend his workshops. From his book, Radical Wholeness, a surrender to wholeness is a surrender to the ceaseless creativity of the present. It invariably takes you someplace new. It invites you into the delicious paradox of reality. You will be wholly activated and wholly at rest. You will be fully yourself and beyond yourself. You will experience grace and possess none. You will be grounded in security and lightly abandoned, and you will feel the world with a ravishing intimacy that is at the same time non-personal. These qualities are all the hallmarks of wholeness. Welcome back, Philip. You were talking about knowledge when we ended the last segment, and knowledge seems to be true the way that a lot of the world operates. So when we move from the concept of knowledge into the concept of intelligence, How do we bridge those two that we experience the wholeness that exists all the time that we just haven't tapped into? Yeah, I mean, as a a culture, we're very, very, very clever. Um, And we've demonstrably forgotten how to live intelligently. And one of the issues there is we just, we define intelligence in a way that flatters the intelligence of the head because we're so committed as a culture to the head governing everything. So we think intelligence is the ability to reason abstractly. And, you know, it's a tiny bandwidth on the massive spectrum of our true intelligence. And to, to, you know, to characterize that spectrum, to me, first of all, it's a spectrum of sensitivity. So you can have a sensitivity to a child's tears, to bird song, to color, to a tree, to arithmetic relationship, and all of those sensitivities are forms of intelligence. But a sensitivity by its very nature is reactive. So if the retina didn't react to light, 
we, we wouldn't see. So our sensitivities, in order to become coherent, need to be grounded. Grounded in the present, grounded in the body. And when that happens... When, our, when we have a grounded sensitivity, I, that's the, the best way in which I can, for myself, characterize what true intelligence is. But, of course, we demean sensitivity in our culture. We demean feeling. We believe that we can just sort of barrel forward um, implementing our ideas of what should be and how it should happen. And those, those ideas are not informed by the present and that wholeness, that the reality in which we're embedded, um, we, as you said, you know, at the top of the show, we are, we are blind to it. And, you know, for all the lip service we give to wholeness, where we shop at Whole Foods and, you know, look for holistic medicine, and for all of that, we're primarily uninterested in wholeness. We don't, we, don't, we don't accommodate what it means to speak from the whole of your being. What does it mean to listen with the whole of your being? We're so busy listening with our heads and speaking from our heads. We, we don't know anymore what it means to rest in the present and feel its wholeness. And it just seems not to interest us as a culture, and, and to be blind to the whole is to be blind to its coursing intelligence. And you, and when you you're have talking such... about, when you're talking about that, Philip, you're talking about um, we, us being so self-centered on us as individuals that we are not taking into account um, for example, going into a grocery store and, and buying the organic food, we're not taking into the account the interconnectedness of that tomato and us to where that came from and us being a part of that greater world. Is that correct? And, yeah, and we walk into that grocery store feeling alone. And, I mean, if you feel alone, then you are desensitized to wholeness. Because you're always held in the embrace of the intimate present. You can't escape it. And we genuinely feel alone. And it's not, you know, it's not that we don't have individuality. Um, but what we don't have is independence. So our individuality is held by an illuminated by the hole in which we're embedded. But when we go into that grocery store to buy our organic tomato, we, we feel alone as we walk down the aisle. We aren't participant in the currents of life that are shaping us in every moment. We're just dulled to them. And you talk about how life can become mechanical, and you speak to something you call the Trojan horse effect. And that's where all of the mystery kind of disappears, and we really do start allowing life to be a function and a machine, and as if everything is knowable, rather than embracing the unknown and the mystery and the aliveness that is available to us. Yeah, it's, there's this huge irony that, you know, 
uh, the scientific mindset has um, been accepted culturally as the, the dogma of truth. And the scientific mindset that, that's been accepted is classical science, Newtonian science. Meanwhile, quantum mechanics, quantum, the, the most advanced science shows inescapably that matter and consciousness are paired. That, that my consciousness has an effect on matter. That, that, that there is no matter that, is, that stands independent of consciousness. And there's so many inquiries that show non-locality, which is impossible in, in Newtonian science, um, to be inherent and commonplace in our world. So things that are doubted by, by our, our culture, because we adhere to classical science, um, are actually commonplace, um, you know, to, to feel, for a mother to feel that her child is in distress hundreds of miles away, that's commonplace, that everyone um, knows people to whom that's happened, and, and we doubt that. We doubt that our world has any capacity for mystery or the unknowable. When, when our most advanced science tells us that, I mean, entang- there's a, a phenomenon in, in uh, physics called entanglement, where, where what happens to one particle that's, that's previously been in touch with another will instantaneously affect the other. Well, entanglement is used in photosynthesis. Photosynthesis was puzzling scientists because it achieved efficiencies that shouldn't be possible. And they looked into it and they discovered that at the heart of photosynthesis is this quantum effect, this non-local effect of entanglement going on. So, so our very life depends on the non-local nature of our universe. We, the, the, the ability of plants to turn light into food is, is what we depend on. And, and yet we, we, we insist on a classical Newtonian billiard ball world. And in that insistence, we lose our ability to attune to the present and find guidance there. When you talk about a plant turning light into food, that really makes me think of true presence and our human nature or our our intellect would have us or our ego would have us try to do presence. I'm going to become presence. And that in itself is a paradox because when we're truly present, we're not really even there. We are so embodied and connected to everything that we would feel it all as ourselves. I want to read one paragraph that you have in your book. When the intelligence in the pelvic bowl assimilates the particulars of the present, it delivers us into the intimacy of a felt relationship. Intimacy is something we all crave, and the experience of intimacy occurs when you allow the presence of the world or some feature of it or person to touch the core of your being. To permit the intimacy of such a connection is to experience the whole of your being and the whole of its intelligence illuminated in response. 
intimacy blesses us with self-knowledge. Talk a little bit about that uh, aspect, that presence that is so completely embodied, but yet not a doing. Yeah, um, it's so it's 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 one of the the stumbling blocks of relying on the rational mind because we we think we have to uh, achieve somehow in a top down manner um, achieve presence or we think we have to achieve wholeness. But all we know is this because of our adherence to the intelligence in the head. All we know is a top down modality of achieving, and and the reality is. You can't achieve wholeness. You can't, I mean, you are whole. You're embedded in wholeness. You can't escape wholeness. You don't need to achieve wholeness. All you can do is surrender to it. And it's similar with the present. You can't achieve presence. The present is there. You can join it. Or you can, you can stand in a desensitized way, independent of it. But that, that surrender to what is there is, is anathema to our head-driven, controlling culture. And it's such an easy thing, you know, in its essence. It's this softening of the body. And as you soften the body into this teeming world of sensation, you feel the present, not not just out there, you feel the present in your being. The present, it's like the Anglo Ive idea of the senses, where you're, it's, it's, it, there's not a boundary around the self through which the sensations of the world pass and register um, on, on the senses. The self is permeable, the present lives within you. The present isn't out there. It's, it's also, it's running through you at every moment. And to feel mirrored within your core the wholeness of the world um, around you is to join the present. And as you say, when that happens, where is the boundary? There, there, you know, you, you as, a, as an independent being that that very notion loses all meaning and your 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 part in that surrender of of a coursing celebration that you can never understand but that by surrender you can fully participate in and feel the quality of presence cannot be achieved. You discover your presence as you surrender to the present. And in that surrender, you feel its energy shifting in utter ease around you and through you. Yielding to its intimate touch, you also surrender to its qualities. The present is spacious, without limit. The present is utterly at ease. The present feels everything with a bottomless awareness. The present is underpinned by love. It plays with unfettered spontaneity. Its currents course with ineffable grace. The present moves with the joy of being. It is liberated into the truth of expression. The present is the all-harmonizing dance of what is. You will never possess it, but the present is enlightened. An unsupervised surrender to it carries you into its mindful brilliance. This is from Philip Shepard's book, 
Radical Wholeness. You can find out more about him and all of the upcoming events and his other book, New Self, New World, at philipshepherd.com. He is a recognized international authority on embodiment and has developed the Embodied Present Process, a unique set of practices for reuniting the anxious, restless pace of the intelligence in the head with the deep, present, and connected intelligence of the body. We'll be right back with Philip Shepherd. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Are you an artist, healer, teacher, author, speaker, or coach? A wellness or holistic practitioner or energy worker? Maybe you want to be. Do you desire to serve the world, share your gifts, live your dreams? I am Simran, host of 1111 Talk Radio, and I invite you to the vision of oneness. Could you use a community of support, more financial flow with less effort? Would you like to receive so you have more to give? Be a world changer, world server, do-gooder. Be a new paradigm thinker and a conscious change agent. A part of a growing community creating collective streams of prosperity and wellness. By simply serving yourself, you serve others. Feel great, have more energy, sleep better, gently detox. Lose unhealthy weight and build strength. It's time for more freedom and financial flow. The vision of oneness embodies unconditional giving, commitment, simplicity, and receiving. We are a collective new way of being in commerce and creative cash flow. Learn more at thevisionofoneness.com. Register now and a member will help you begin today. Visionofoneness.com. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today, 1111mag.com. 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly online publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. Engage with experts and topics of consciousness. Become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, expanding the heart, and experiencing greater aliveness. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. Simron is an award-winning author, publisher of 1111 Magazine, powerful speaker of wisdom, and a life mentor. Find out more at imsimron.com. Now, back to 1111 Talk Radio. My guest today is Philip Shepard, and he is the author of New Self, New World, and his brand new book, Radical Wholeness, The Embodied Present and the Ordinary Grace of Being. It is a deeply rich book, and it will speak both to your mind and your logic, as well as 
to your heart and your soul and your gut and your body. It is a book that will allow you to truly understand how to step out of the constraints and the conformity that might exist in your life and how to open up to a space of greater naturalness, greater ordinariness, greater beingness. From his book, this excerpt, I belong to all that is ordinary and derive my strength from my ordinariness, which is another way of saying I derive my strength from wholeness. The ordinary has a quality of just this. An ordinary teapot or an ordinary twig appears neither inflated nor diminished, but fully at rest in the present. When I too am at rest in the ordinary world, I can respond appropriately and in proportion without reactivity or stiffness. I think this is why martial arts play such a high value on Hejoshin, the ability to retain ordinary and everyday mind in the face of danger. Again, this is from the book Radical Wholeness by Philip Shepard. You know, Philip, when I was young, when I was a child, my greatest fear was to be ordinary. And as I have, and I would imagine that's a lot of, that's a fear that a lot of people hold to be average, to be ordinary. And with my experiences through life, particularly my experiences of the last five years, there is such a richness, such an extraordinariness in being completely ordinary. And it is the biggest gift in the world. And I was so elated at the way you portrayed that in this book, in the chapter, The Grace of Being, because it is such a powerful, powerful place to be, to allow oneself to sink into the place of presence, to sink into the place of what is, to sink into the places of the darkness or the danger or the obstacles or whatever is showing up in one's life and allow that ordinariness to shine through. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, it's so funny because we, we long to belong and we think that if we're special, we'll, we'll be accepted in a way that, that, that we'll belong. And, and, and we, we, we seek to transcend our wholeness when we seek to become special because parts of us then need to be censored because, well, they're not so special and, and, and parts of us need to be misrepresented. It, it, the, the whole thing, and in the meantime, you, you ineradicably belong to this ordinary world. And, you know, I have nothing against seeking the extraordinary, but, but the extraordinary lies in the ordinary, you know, the, you mentioned a twig. Uh, an ordinary twig connects you to the most extraordinary, staggering story of becoming. Uh, the twig is made of, of molecules that were forged in stars just as your body was. The twig holds within it a memory of seasons. The, the twig connects to its ancestors, which connect to your ancestors. The ordinary is the web of the world that manifests the whole through its every particular. And we, we want to bound the world up. We want everything to be independent. We want, you know, we slice through the the web, the ordinary web that underpins all life. And even, you know, you look at a tree and you want to see the tree as, a, as an object um, that, that um, 
by in its objectification, you you obscure your living connection with it, and 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 you the way you place a boundary around you, the self is exactly what you do to the the tree, and you you know the tree isn't a thing. The tree is a process, and that process. You know, you look for the boundary around that process, the way you long to have that special boundary around yourself. And you say, well, well, the roots are certainly part of the process of the tree, and, and, and the moisture around those roots is part of the process of the tree, as, as, as are the minerals in the earth. And, and the insects, they're, they're part of the process of the roots and so of the tree. And, and then the, the water that, that falls on the ground is part of the process of the tree and 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 the the lakes and the mountains that 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 um, give that water to the air and bring it down as rain are all part of the process of the tree and the sun that evaporates the water is part of the process of the tree and the solar system that 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 holds the the sun in, and the earth in its orbit is part of the process of the tree. For through that ordinary tree, all the world is glimpsed. It, the ordinariness of that tree is what bespeaks the wholeness of everything. And the same is true of you. In your ordinariness, you belong to everything your gaze falls upon. You know, when people think of Joseph Campbell's statement, the hero's journey, so often the mind can wrap its own ideas around what that is. And I loved how you talk about and how he implies the hero, which is not necessarily this attainment of something or this uh, expression in the world that is is sometimes our version of success or bigger than life, but the true hero is the one that can really awaken to the whole by submitting to it, um, as you say. And it doesn't always get a lot of airtime. And you, you gave a list. You talked about the tyrant versus the hero. And right now in the world, we're seeing so much when we look at politics, when we look at big corporations, when we're looking at at how agriculture or the weather or different things or health are being handled. We see that um, archetype of tyrant versus whether or not we are going to embody the hero. And some of the statements that you write are, the tyrant imposes his will on the world, the hero attunes to the world, the tyrant seeks control over what is happening, the hero seeks clarity of being, the tyrant prioritizes his objective knowledge, the hero prioritizes his sense of the felt whole. And you go on to say more. One thing I want you to do is talk a little bit about how we cope with the world where it, it feels as if we have these tyrants and we are to be the hero of our own journey. And point two that I'd like you to speak to is how the tyrant and the hero exist within each of us. Yeah, it's like, it's like the affinity between the hero and the ordinary um, is, is so clear in Joseph Campbell's terms. The, the hero is the man of self-achieved submission. The hero submits to what is. And, you know, I think of the Odyssey, which I love, and Odysseus, you know, the Odyssey is about this guy who just wants to get home to his family. 
that's what he wants. You know, and he, he does everything in his power to make that trip home. And, and Odysseus was accompanied by Athena, the divine goddess Athena, and had this personal relationship with her. And of course, she, that divine presence, is the divine presence of companionship in the world. And, and it offers guidance with our every breath once you resensitize yourself to it. And the tyrant, the tyrant is afraid of the world and wants to control it and opposes everything that nature loves. He stands, the tyrant stands against life. So uh, what do I mean by everything nature loves? You know, you, you look at the world of nature and you see nature loves change. There's, there are no two consecutive moments that are the same. It's, the world is in flux and, and nature celebrates that and moves forward with it. Nature loves diversity. It's this burgeoning play of, of creating not, not, not tulips that are identical, but tulips that are different. And, you know, there's no question which came first, the chicken or the egg, because the egg came first, because each chicken is, is another step in, in evolution. And the diversity of nature is irrepressible. And nature loves service. Everything that is born is born into service. The earthworm is serving the earth and the, the, the health of the soil and, you know, the, the eagle in its flight, the, the wolf on the prowl, they are all in service. And, and you look at the tyrant and the tyrant resents change because he's trying to establish control and order. He fears diversity because conformity is, is, is what um, will assure his control, and he serves only himself. And with that, and we're that, going to have to close out our show. Thank you so much, Philip, for being on 1111 Talk Radio. Get his book, Radical Wholeness. Check out his website, philipshepherd.com. And one last excerpt from this beautiful book. The heroic submission to the present sets up an alchemy within the self. When you submit to the present as a felt whole, without flinching, without reservation, and without needing it to be anything other than what it is, you will begin to feel its aliveness within you. And when you feel that aliveness from a deep place of stillness, you will feel a gentle tug that momentarily crystallizes your relationship to the world and awakens the whole of your being to what is being asked of you. And then you face a choice. Answer the summons or retreat from it. If you answer it, you are basically offering yourself up as a lump of dough to the baker to be needed that you might arise anew. This is from the book Radical Wholeness by Philip Shepard. Again, check him out at philipshepard.com. My guest next week is Janine Staples, the voice of our fragmented selves. Until then, I am Simran, in love, of love, with love, and as love. Be well. Thank you for opening your mind to a new reality. Your heart to greater compassion and your experience of aliveness with 1111 Talk Radio. Join host Simron next Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern Time to step through the gateway of conscious living here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Remember... 
You are not on the journey. You are the journey. 